I have to confess that I'm addicted to control. I want to control everything. Control my life and tell God what to do. I've learned, because I've been married and I want to stay married, to not try to tell my wife what to do. We were in D.C. this week. We were in, a, in a, an amazing uh, conference together with uh, Dave and Deb Selden. Uh, and uh, we were on a, matter of fact, I think we were, we were on a, a sightseeing bus together. And we went by this, uh, this uh, set of apartments apartments on the right and, and the woods on the left. And the guy who was, was conducting uh, the tour said, don't look to your right. Whatever you do, don't look to your right. Look to your left. And he was pointing out all the monuments and different things in Washington. And, and I could not not look to my right. And I thought, what am I not? Well, there's not I'm not, what's the deal? And I noticed that I wasn't the only one. Dave Seldon was also looking to the right. And Paula was looking, to, and, and I, everyone was looking to the right. And, I, and finally, when we get, he says, there's a, na- there's a naked guy up in a window up here, and he likes to, you know, stand in front of the window while we pass. And then I turn to the left. <laughs> and I think, what is that in me? It's like a, it's like a rubber. You tell me not to do something and I do. Why is it that I think that I know better? And I know I know better than you. But when I think I know better than God, when somehow I, for me, life is one big problem rather than the adventure God intended to be. If I would just do life his way, if I would just accept his word and his promises and his offers, then wouldn't life be a lot more fun? And I think it's supposed to be fun. I do. Don't you come on, tell me. Lie to me. Don't you think it's supposed to be fun? Yeah. I went, I, 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 we went to the, stopped by the, the mall. I, I knew in Virginia, I wasn't going to attempt to buy a phone. I knew I wasn't going to get a phone. I just want to talk to the people. I took pictures. I walked around. I laughed. They laughed. They had, they had food. They had blankets. Isn't that cool? I just think it's cool. Sometimes we need to be reminded that life is not just one big problem. It's a place to have fun, to live free, to enjoy and savor the moment. It's, it's what we've been trying, the spirit we've been trying to capture in this four laws of water scheme. Is that, yeah, you can sit home and be safe. And if you sit home on your couch and watch TV, you won't drown. You won't hit your head on the rock. You won't, have, you, you, you won't have to look ugly in a bathing suit with your white knobby knees and your big gut. Uh, and you won't, you know, you just, you, you'll be free from all that. And you can just sit there and eat and watch Seinfeld reruns and get fatter and feel more miserable. Roll off, go to the bathroom, roll back up, roll on, roll off. Roll into bed, roll out. Or you can realize that, you know what? Everyone, okay, here's the deal. This is worth the price. And if you didn't give, we're going to give another offer. Everyone looks bad in a bathing suit. <laughs> so you guys are all delusional. Yeah. Everyone looks bad in a bathing suit. Everyone looks dumb skiing. Every 
everyone looks dumb playing golf. Everyone looks dumb doing something. So you might as well not worry about how dumb you think you are and what you think you cannot do. And, and I don't look cool and I don't know how. And just go out and make a fool out of yourself. Amen? Why not? Everyone else doing it. You might as well do it too. So that's what we've been trying to say in this series is, you know what? There are some laws of adventure walking, adventure living, or water skiing. We've talked about them. We've come to the fourth one today. Let's just go back over these laws really quick because you know them. You're going to use them every single day, right? All right, good. Law number one is the law of the jacket. It basically says everyone wears a jacket, no exceptions. By that we mean everyone, safety is an illusion, it is not real, security is a promise, it is as sure as the breath in your lungs right this moment. Jesus Christ is our security. There's the law of leaning. Number two, that says you hold on the rope, you lean back, and you let the boat do the lifting. You let God do the lifting. You, go, you follow his lead. You're not trying to force the universe to your way. Law number three, last week, the law of bending. If your knees bent, the waters will without notice. It's not you. It's not your mother. It's not your genetics. It's not because, you know, God wants to pick on you. It's life. Law number four basically is this, the law of letting go, which says when you fall, let go of the rope. We'll come back for you. When you fall, let go of the rope. We will come back for you. And here's the thing. If you've never water skied, this may seem a little odd. But trust me, at least the people I've talked to, maybe not you, but the people I've talked to, say that when I fall, when I'm water skiing, I have the tendency to want to hang on. I do. And here's what happens. If you hang on, one, you get drugged. Two, you get drugged under. It takes you under. And three, you could die. Now, here's why we tend to hang on. You may think, you know, when you fall, you let go. No, you tend to hold. I'll tell you why. Because the distance between you and the boat grows exponentially. I mean, you think a guy guy like me, I'm skiing. It's like a buffalo on boards, right? And out there, and when I'm up, I don't, there's not much drag, man. I'm just going, I'm good. I'm good. Good. But when I fall, I fall good. And you can just think of a guy like me in the water holding on. That boat is straining and straining and pulling. And we'll go, how, I mean, how fast do you ski? 40, 50, 60, something like that? No skiers among us, huh? Must have been all the last service. Everybody thought that was funny. No, you better not be no skiing, no fit. They'll pull your arm sockets out. What about 30? Say, okay, about 30. You say your boat's going 30 miles. It's straining to go 30, and I fall, and I let go. There it goes, man. And so exponentially, it leaves. And here's the deal. You're sitting here in the water, and that boat is getting smaller. You think they're looking out for you. Oh, no. They don't know you've fallen. Because you're skiing. What are they doing? They're sipping. They're talking. They're leaning back. They don't want any shadows to not get the big fat roll on their belly so they can get a little sun on everything, you know. And you're like, oh, my God. They're never coming back. I'm just telling you something. 
when you're in a lake floating by yourself, there are things in the water. Can I hear an amen? I mean, there's snakes in the water and there's, there's monsters in the water and there's, you know, little fish with big teeth and they will, they, they will just eat your skin off in big chunks. I mean, if you're out there more than a minute, they, they, they all know. And they're all circling you. And you're like, oh my God, I can't even see them anymore. And there are boats everywhere. And, and, you can't, and, and why are all boats white with a red stripe or blue stripe? And you can't see them. And all of a sudden, you physically know what it's like to spiritually feel totally afraid that no one's ever going to come back for you and you are forgotten you should have stayed home you should have never tried you should have listened to all your fears there's something inside of us there are fears inside of us as a matter of fact there are four of those fears that i see constantly repeated in people's lives there's the fear of being alone I mean, the first not good in the scriptures was what? It's not good that man should be what? Alone. And we constantly fear about being alone. That's why I think that the web is so big and social networks are so real. Facebook, MySpace. That's why many of you should get a Facebook and you should get a MySpace and many of you need to start blogging. It's a way to make social contact. We feel alienated. I mean, have you, ever, have you ever worked someplace and you felt surrounded by people, you still feel alone? Isn't it interesting that we have massive buildings all around our city called, and we, where people live together in these little houses, and we call them not togetherments, but apartments. We fear of being alone. We fear of being abandoned. We feel everyone walking away. We fear those friends who said, I've got your back. Well, somehow not. We fear of losing a spouse or alienating our children. We fear of getting older and being alone. And I have to tell you, being a pastor, being in and out of hospitals all of my life, there is nothing more pitiful than seeing a man or a woman in their latter years uh, living alone, suffering alone, and dying alone. There's nothing more pitiful than that. There's a fear of obsolescence. That somehow we're going to be obsolete. We live in one of the only cultures in the world, in the West, where age is discounted over youth. It is absurd to think that a 23-year-old Harvard graduate is smarter than a 70-year-old man who has, or, or woman who has been successful time after time after time in business for over 50 years. It's insane to think that this young guy is more valuable. But that's exactly the tendency. That's changing, thank God. But that's the tendency. We feel that, you know, we're not going to be wanted. We're not going to have a job. We're not going to be valued, that we're obsolete. And what happens is that fear, which is not a reality, actually gets us to act in such a way that we actually fulfill that fear. Third, there's the fear of a wasted life. There's a fear that somehow I'm going to go through all this and it's not going to be worth it. 
I mean, have you given up easy? Have you given up realizing that everything worth having is hard? There are no shortcuts to any place worth going. Everything is hard. Being married is hard. It's hard. It is just hard. 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 Being a parent is a pain. Come on now. You're in a safe place. Isn't it true? It's a pain. I read years ago, you know, the, the definition of a parent. Oh, it was cute, you know. A parent is someone who's willing to, to live for 18 years with their heart on their outside of their chest. That's stupid. I mean, if it were just 18 years, that'd be great. Wouldn't it be great if you, know, you, yeah, you have a kid for 18 years and want to have you, and in 18 years plus one day, I'm not going to worry about you. I'm not going to feed you. I'm not going to support you. I don't give a rip who you marry. I don't care what you eat, what you wear. You can get tattoos that cover every inch of your head and toenails, and I just don't care. <laughs> but you do care, don't you? When they're 18 and 19 and 22 and 32 and 42 and you still love them and they still break your heart and they're painful and they're expensive. and <sighs> Why would anyone want to have children? <laughs> but it's the greatest thing in the whole world. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's not easy. It's worth it. We fear that we will waste a life. And the last fear is a fear of abandonment. This fear that somehow, you know, people are going to abandon me and God is going to abandon me. I love this. Let's read this together, Psalm 23. We're going to read together just about two or three more places. So if you just be ready, it'd be great. But let's just read Psalm 23 together. It's at the top of your outline. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Man, isn't it powerful? Yeah. I mean, here's here's a psalm of David. I mean, it's full of, of hope and confidence, isn't it? He must have been having a good day. But do you know that the context, we know historically the context of this psalm was during the darkest, blackest night of his life. He had just been made aware of the death of his favorite son. A son who all of his hopes depended upon. We're not talking about Solomon. A son who was attractive, who was tall, who was popular who was intelligent, who had all the earmarks of greatness. A son with long, beautiful, flowing hair, but a son who died in an accident because he was recklessly riding his horse through trees on his way to kill his own father. 
I'm telling you what, when your son dies on the way to kill you, you're having a bad day. And that's when this psalm was written. During the darkest night, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Wow. Wouldn't it be cool if we really believe that? Yeah. Huh? I mean, it's easy to believe it in here, isn't it? Everybody's going, yeah, that's whatever. Yeah, I'm fired up. Let's go. Get some more coffee in that man. Let's go. <laughs> but it's out there where the fear of being alone, the fear of obsolescence, the fear of a wasted life, and fear of abandonment come in. And they have thorns and they have teeth, and sometimes they have faces and eyes, and sometimes they come with threatening words. And we worry constantly. Now, listen to the scripture. Psalm 68, sing to the Lord and praise his name. A father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows. God sets the lonely in families and he leads forth the prisoners with singing. Yeah. Isn't it good? It seems to be good to me. He says the fatherless. He's a father to the father. If you're here and your father was a jerk, you still have a father. Yeah. Yeah. He'll be your father. He'll father you. A defender of widows. We have some widows in the house. I can't imagine how you feel. I wouldn't begin to insult you to tell you that I do. But you have a defender. Yes. He sits the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing. I mean, we live every single day with God's promise. I got you back. I'll be there for you. When you fall, I'm not going to just keep on blindly blindly going my way. I know where you all, I, I know where you stumble. I know your fear. I know your sin. I know how you've messed it up. I know the stuff other people know, and I know all the rest of the stuff that other people don't know. I know your thoughts. I know all the history on your web browser. I know it all. I will never leave you, and I will never. And so every day we live by these five promises. And we live them and we breathe them. And these promises of God are not just what sustains us, but gets us out of the house and out to the lake and on the skis. And that's what gets us to believe that God has created us for a purpose. And if he's in control of our lives, we can live a little bit out of control of ours. And if we would give up the illusion of control because the days are passing by, do you understand that your life is but a moment? And this whole idea of time management is a lie from the pit of hell. If you've ever taken a time management course, I would beg you to go get your money back because you cannot manage time because time is not a commodity that is unfair or unequal. We all have the same amount, the same days, the same seconds, the same minutes, the same months. Just some of us get a lot more done than others. You know how? Because we're out of control. We just simply understand that you know what? Everybody needs a jacket. Everyone has, you know, you let God do the lifting. You you bend those knees. You understand that if you if you if you if you if you if you drop, you just let go. Why is it that when a good thing dies, we still hang on to it? 
Why won't you believe me when I tell you that at the end of every really good thing is a better thing waiting to be born? I am living proof of it over and over and over again. And many of you are to please in God's name believe it. I love this. I found this by a good friend of mine, Lynn Sweet. He wrote it about four or five years ago. It's called The Magna Carta of Trust by an Out-of-Control Disciple. He says, I am a part of the church of the out-of-control. I was once a controlled junkie, but now I'm out-of-control disciple. I've given up my control to God. I trust and obey the Spirit. I've jumped off the fence. I've stepped over the line. I've pulled out all the stops. I'm holding nothing back. There's no turning back, looking around, slowing down, backing away, letting up or shutting up. It's life against all odds, outside the box, over the wall, the game of life, played without gold lines other than thy will be done. I'm not here to please the dominant culture or to serve any, to serve any all show and no go bureaucracy. I'm here to please the Lord. My spiritual taste buds have graduated from fizz and froth to fire and ice. I don't want the new time religion. Don't give me the old time religion. Give me the all time religion that is hard as a rock and soft as snow. I've stopped trying to make life work and I've started to make life sing. I'm finished with secondhand sensations, third rate dreams, low risk crusades. I no longer live by or for anything that isn't God breathed. Christ-centered and spirit-driven. I can't be bought by personalities or perks, positions or prizes. I won't give up, though I will give in, to open-mindedness, humbleness of heart and generosity of spirit. When short-handed and hard-pressed, I will never again just hang in there. I'll stand in there, I'll run in there, I'll pray in there, and I'll sacrifice in there, I'll endure in there. In fact, I'll do everything but hang. My face is upward. My feet are forward. My eyes are focused. My way is cloudy, yet my knees are worn. My seat uncreased. My heart unburdened. My spirit light. My road narrow. My mission wide. I won't be seduced by popularity, traduced by criticism. I am organized religion's worst nightmare and best friend. I won't back down, slow down, shut up, or let down until I am preached out, teached out, healed out, or hauled out for God's mission in the world, entrusted to the church of the out of control. Isn't that cool? I wish I'd written that. But I can live it. So let me give you our secret weapon. It's ours, and it's good. You know what it is? The promises of God. Not the promises of Dave. Not the promises of Mama. You ever remember when Mama used to say it's going to be okay and it wasn't okay? Not the promises of culture. Not the promises of wealth. Not the promises of health. Not the promises of a career. But the promises of God. I want you to know them and wear them and breathe them. Here they are. One, the promise of his presence. No one will stand up against you, Joshua. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know what never means in the Hebrew? Have you guys been to seminary? That's right. Never. Never. Never, 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 never. Say it with me. Never, 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 never. One more time. Never, 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 never. Doesn't it feel good? 
Just pretend like you're talking to your kids. Right? One, two, three. Never, 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 never. Now pretend like you're talking to your boss. Ready? One, never, 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 never. No, I'm just kidding. When will God forsake you? Never. never. I mean, unless, unless, of course, you don't tithe. And if you don't come to church, if you take a vacation this summer, you know, it's probably off. If you ever get a divorce, you're definitely out of the pool. If you ever get fired, you're screwed. I mean, think, think of how this must have felt to, to, to uh, Joshua. And here's a guy who's, on one hand, most prepared leader in the history of, of the world in terms of time and preparation. And yet there is a time in which if you just sit back at the number two position and watch for a while, when it's your time to go out, you're frightened. I mean, it's one thing to sit in the seats. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to this fall. I'm looking forward to the football. I'm looking forward to critiquing Vince Young. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to be generous <laughs> with my help. But it's another thing to be Vince Young. You're hiding out there on that field trying to avoid a ton of beast and hurl a pigskin down the field. Amen. A whole lot different. So he says, you know what? I'm going to be with you. There's a promise of his presence. Second, the promise of his provision. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. I will throw up on the floodgates of heaven. I will pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room to contain it. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines and your fields will, will not cast forth their fruit, which means it'll, it'll stay on there until it, it, it ripens. Now, have you learned this? You cannot outgive God. And the more you give, the more... I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about everything. We're going to really talk about this big time in this next series, 31 words. It's what you give away. It's, it's giving. Generosity begets generosity. Let's say that together. Generosity begets if you're generous at work, people at work will be generous back to you. If you're generous with your words of encouragement, people will be generous with those back to you. Generosity is the key. And generosity hinges on one fact. Is there an abundance? Is there a source of abundance? And is that source open and favorable toward me? Right? And if it is, if he is, if the core, one of the core features of God is his generosity then one of the core signs that we know God should be our. There you go. There's the promise of his... Third, there's the promise of his providence. The promise of his providence. Listen to what it says. Because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. Underline, in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. What's God saying? God's saying, you know, I'm with you. I got you back. Acknowledge my name. Acknowledge, it's all I'm asking. Acknowledge my name. Acknowledge me. Say yes to me. Fourth, there's the promise of his protection. Will all you take refuge, be glad. Let him sing for joy. Spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O oh Lord, you're, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your what? 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 Favor. Like a what? A shield. 
Oh, to have God's favor. To get on the airplane and have God's favor. Just say, God, you're the same God who created the wind, the air. You're the same God who created physics. And you're the same God that gave people the intelligence to defy it. So keep this plane up. Surround me with a shield of your favor. Amen. You got the promise of his presence. You got the promise of his provision. You got the promise of his providence. You got the promise of his protection. And you got the promise, the best promise in the whole cotton picking world is the promise of his place. Let's read this together. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am. Yes. Yeah, man, the promise of his place is going to always have a home. It's going to always have a place. I love that phrase. When everything is ready. Yes. You know, I have to tell you, I'm, I, I love being married. I love it. Love it. Love it. One of the things I love about being married is now I'm, this is this is not a this is just a statement of fact, not of pres, you know prescription. But my Paula has never required me to cook. Doesn't mean that I shouldn't. Doesn't mean that it's not a man's thing to do. It just she's never it's never been something she's required me to do. And I'm, and I'm thankful. So here's how it goes. When she's preparing a meal, I'm in another room or another part of the house praying for her. As I peruse the different video offerings on the TV, it could be football, it could be... Music could be a movie, probably a movie about Jesus. <laughs> but I'm listening. But here's the thing: she's preparing the meal, and I'm I'm relaxing. Okay, I, I just tell you what it is. I'm being lazy, and I'm listening. But I, but I hear the sounds of the kitchen, the pots clink clink. That that door the refrigerator has, and the you know the metal when the magnetic thing pull you know whatever it is the ice in the glass ding 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 her getting the silverware out putting it out and since my my place of prayer is upstairs the smells start coming up meatloaf oh my god it's going to be meatloaf every day in heaven Meatloaf. And you say, Ew. So you, you do not know fine dining. Ketchup cures everything. Can I hear an amen? amen. But those smells are coming up and those sounds are going and I'm listening and it's just like music. And then all of a sudden, I hear the sweetest words. It's ready. Oh, it's ready. Hey, Dave. It's ready or babe. That's my name. 
babe, it's ready. Oh, oh, I mean, to live for it's ready. And I come downstairs and it's ready. I have my chair at the head of the table. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that it should be there. I'm just saying that's where she puts me. Who am I to argue? Sit down. And my chair, unlike the chair of the other children, notice I said other children, has arms on it. So I sit there at the head of the table in my chair. I've got my plate and my silverware and all those smells and the steams going up and got my favorite beverage. That is, that's worth everything else I have to put up to be married to that woman. It's ready. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when God says, when Jesus says, it's ready. It's ready. I have all your favorite stuff. I know your favorite foods. I know your favorite videos. It's ready. I got your favorite sport. I got a table. It's prepared. It's in the book. It's in Revelation. It's there. I got a seat. It's got, it's just like you like it. It got some arms on it. And when you sit down at this table, you will know it's a table prepared by the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And he prepared it just for you. Can you love a God like that? And can you live in a world like that? Let's pray. Father, I ask you this morning to extend your love and grace to every person in this room. Father, as the pastor of this church, what a great honor that you've given me. You called me to be a pastor when I was 17 years old. I have done it every weekend except just a very few from that day to this. These men and women have given me the honor to be their pastor. So on the authority that you've given me in this moment, as a speaker for God, as a called man of God, I take that authority in Jesus' name and I pray for favor. I pray for favor over marriages. I pray for favor over children. I pray for favor over businesses. I pray favor over books that are being written, that songs that are being imagined. I pray for favor. I pray for your blessing. I pray for finances to flow, for healing to flow, for emotional wounds to be healed, for addictions to be uh, broken and those chains to fall away. I pray that your men and your women and your children and your teenagers, your people would roar with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys so much. Have a great day.